Well, it is good to see everybody today. Thank you for your prayers for uh, our family. And just want you to know that, um, that God has been so good. He's been really, really great, gracious and loving and caring, and we've seen his hand at work. So just want you to know that uh, your, your prayers for that have been uh, in agreement with what the Lord intended to do and, and let you know that, that God has taken care of uh, Talitha's family, our family, over the last week. And uh, it's, it's just been a great, great time in the Lord. Uh, it's hard to, hard to believe that in times like this, but man, just to tell you, God is so faithful to show himself in, in all times, regardless of what the circumstances are. So it's been a really, really good time with family and, uh, and just to celebrate uh, Talitha's mom's life. And uh, it's just been good, been good. God has been faithful. A lot of hard things coming up for us. Uh, you know, I was thinking this morning, I was reading in Spurgeon, he quoted a passage out of Deuteronomy. He talks about the Lord's hand. I forget exactly how, what it said, but his hand being under us. God's hand being under us to catch us or to hold. He's holding us, and God's holding us all the time. And we were talking this morning in, in worship, uh, with the worship team and others that gather on Sunday mornings, talking about how just how that, that makes it, it makes it okay for us to take a leap of faith, right? Knowing that wherever God's leading us, whatever he's leading us to do, that there's uh, his everlasting hands underneath us, holding us, catching us, uh, guiding us, leading us. In our rebellion, his hand is still there. When sin takes us down a path, in our disobedience, in our pursuit of things of the world, take us down a path uh, of... Uh, consequences that come from sin, they're still the everlasting hand of God holding us, underneath us, ready to catch us when we, when we fall flat on our faces. Uh, there's no place that we go that God is not there and holding us and supporting us and being, being a part of our lives. And so uh, I wanted to share that with you today because I know this is a, a time of uh, uh, thinking about how the Lord's going to transition us Move us into being a more biblical church. I know I didn't get to preach the sermon last week, but I did get to hear Will preach it. And, uh, and so you got to hear what the Lord has put on our hearts in regard, regarding, uh, again, just moving this thing forward. Thinking about all of us and what God has been doing in our church. Uh, as much as we've tried to avoid it, and as many times as I've said it over this series since January... I think some, some of us, including me in some ways, have been caught by surprise that this is really a time that we need to start acting on the things that God's been teaching us, which uh, I guess shame on us for, you know, for not taking every word that the Lord gives us as a church seriously and, and to, to think that it's just about us getting in life groups and discussing it in circles and talking about what does it really mean in the world, you know, rather than applying it and living our lives differently according to the things we've been hearing it hearing so now's the time for you to either vamos out the door which is my mom used to say is cajun for take off go somewhere else or dig in but i i think that there's a core group of people in the gathering place west that are ready to dig in and it, it means it means you doing something it means you doing what God called you to do, what God's been leading us to do. It means 
you doing your ABCs, which is very simple for us, but you taking the time to be before God and pressing into that and pushing aside all excuses, getting with God and finding out daily, God, how are you leading me? How are you moving in my life? What's your will for me? Let God deal with the sin in our lives and the truth of his word. Let God move us into action also in relation to the lost world that's surrounding us, that we have just been sitting around every day and not pressing into, not making stuff happen, but just doing what God's already told us to do, pushing into that. And I've been meeting with 29 people on one-on-one meetings. This week is our last meeting. And as we've been meeting together, we've just seen how difficult it is when you just are determined that you are going to bless people how hard that can be. And we're still not successful at it, but at least, you know, but we're done talking about it. Okay, this, this is it. Now we, we need to press it. Uh, there's a work that God wants to do in this community that will, believe it or not, this little tiny church of people will be the key to that. Our obedience to God, our willingness to, to push into obedience, do the hard thing, and, and take a leap of faith and trust the Lord is what's going to allow us to allow this community to begin to be changed. So we're going to be talking about some of the details of that as the Lord unfolds those details. Will's giving you a, a little, you know, we've talked a lot about transition of, as far as what happens here on Sunday. We don't know when, how, uh, how often, whatever is going to happen here. I can tell you a big picture for me is that God's calling me to be more, uh, to have what I told Talitha, I'm calling a, I call it a PM in my journals. Whenever I'm writing and God's speaking, a PM, a Pauline ministry, <laughs> not BM, Bill, PM. A more Pauline kind of ministry of, of, of equipping and uh, planting. And it may mean for me uh, a periods of time when I'm here uh, in Alexandria for uh, 18 months or two years as we see in the text today, or it might be at times when I'm just coming in to strengthen you as individuals within your own house churches, your life groups that are becoming more vibrant and more vital because each one of you are doing what you need to do within the context of those small groups. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's going to look like it did for Paul, where the Holy Spirit's going to lead, and I'm going to do what the Holy Spirit leads me to do. So we're praying through that, the details of what that's going to look like, but we want to launch you, begin to launch you out to do the ministry that God's called you to do. I've spoken with a number of you privately about praying about starting another group, uh, starting another church, if you will, in your house of uh, meeting with your group, with your own life group, and then adding to your schedule another means to be able to, to bless people and to encourage believers to, to, to eat with lost people, to share with community in your home in different ways, um, but, but very intentionally to begin to invite people into your home and not worry about what you call it and not worry about whether they ever come here or not, but to begin to invite people into your home for a meeting uh, where you can talk about the Lord, share about what God's doing in your life and open up scripture together and, and, uh, and, and do church in the context of your home. So we're going to be talking more about that and what that might look like and examples of that. But begin praying about that, seeking the Lord for that. Again, some of you are feeling like, man, I'm, uh, thanks for sharing that. I'm gone. And I would say to you, 
it's unfortunate, but I understand. Um, we've never been about trying to fill this place full of people. We've been about the work of God. And up until now, a lot of the work that God's been doing in this church has been a lot of thinking kind of work. And now it's, it's time for us to start acting on some of the things that God's spoken. And, and so pray for your elders as we seek the Lord, as we ask God what, what his will is for us, but then also see all the possibilities for you. See all the possibilities for this community as you press into this. It's been a great run up to this point, man. I, can, I was thinking this morning as we were singing how sweet it would be that every Sunday when we come together for worship, when all the churches, the little churches in our community come together for worship on Sunday mornings, that, that we're all introducing people to people that, have been, that we've met in our little house churches. People that have come to our house churches and found the truth about who God is and the freedom that comes through grace and and, all, and are experiencing God in that house church are coming together to worship, and we're having to introduce each other to people. That's going to be a sweet Sunday, right? When we're all singing these songs from, from our hearts, and we, we have people next to us who God's used us to impact in a way that they're singing these songs with passion, with a full heart. I can't wait. can't wait to see how God's going to do that. But there's no room for sitting anymore for us. Sitting and listening is not what we do at the gathering place. Okay. We've been on tasks. God said that this, this study would be a, a study for now, a timely study, and also a purposeful study for us. And now we're starting to see the purpose unfold. It's been sweet to see all the pieces coming together and how God's opening doors. I don't know if y'all know this, but we had a couple last week that visited um, from Leesville who's interested in planting a church. Now, how did they end up in our church? wasn't by my doing. God's doing stuff. It's all God, and we need to rest in that. And as we, as we begin to, uh, to, to make changes in our own lives in reference to what God's calling us to do, to just know the love of the Father is what holds us, as we were singing this morning. He, is, he loves us. He's with us. He's for us. Uh, he is motivating us, moving us, and uh, leading us. Y'all with me? Say, oh, yeah. All right. It's good stuff. Um, so we're in Acts chapter 19 today. I titled the message today, Establishing the Work. You know, we've been establishing the work, but today that, just, that title just felt good for what we're going to experience. Now, Paul is fixing to, to come back to Ephesus where he made a quick visit earlier and left Aquila and Priscilla to, to carry on some ministry there. Uh, and then Paul moves on, and he, he uh, goes to, to Caesarea, and he visits some churches and encourages different churches and goes back to his home church uh, and, and reports what's going on with them. And he greets some, and he encourages some. And, and he's, he's, he's short meetings that he's having around in different places in Asia where he's encouraging the believers. All right? Again, that's going to be a part of what we do in ministry together. As we are a biblical church, we need to figure out what is our role in encouraging the other churches around us to, to, uh, to push forward. And many of you will have that role uh, of leadership within the, exist, the, the uh, house church that you're a part of within this congregation, encouraging other uh, people in other life groups or house churches uh, as you support them. But that's definitely going to be a role that God's got me in. It's, it's, it's being a keeper of the distinctives that God's given us. 
as the elder of this church. And so Paul is doing that, and he comes back to Ephesus, and there's some encounters that Paul has in this pagan city. Uh, synagogue was there, uh, but the synagogue was small and, and very uh, synagogish, right? They were acting like the Pharisees act, and they were being like the Pharisees were, and they had no influence whatsoever. And, and they were not ready to receive the gospel, which has been true about the Jews in just about every town that Paul uh, has gone to to expand the church and move these distinctives into, the, into, uh, into different portions of the world. So Paul, this is no exception to the rule. Paul comes here and finds the same thing. But in this particular town, it's interesting to see how God takes this pagan city uh, that was a good distance away from uh, from Jerusalem, and who had not even really, most of them had not even heard about Jesus yet. Uh, we find in the story today, those had been had heard about the coming of the Messiah through John's uh, preaching and were baptized by John, but had not really heard about Jesus and had not heard about the Messiah coming and dying and being resurrected from the dead and had not received the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot, this, this is a distant land that just needs a major work to be established. It's not the reestablishment of anything. It is an establishing for the first time of the, the gospel and the gospel message and its effect in a pagan town. So we have that. We're, we're going to experience that as we go from place to place, as we move forward and, and multiply the church. There are going to be places where we need the Lord to guide us, to lead us to, to understand how do we affect change in a pagan place. And so that's what happens here in Ephesus. So let's read Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, and uh, spend a little time in the text this morning, see some truths that we can pull out for ourselves. Begin with chapter, or verse 1, chapter 19, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Uh, and he said, into what then have you been, uh, were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, and there were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue for three months, spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God, but when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. All right, so let's start at the beginning. I want to recap a little something from last week, because the very beginning of this passage, in verse 1, it happens that Apollos is in Corinth, which last week, uh, uh, you know, what, ha- what we saw unfold that is so significant for us is that Paul, first of all, felt comfortable leaving, uh, bringing along with him Priscilla and Aquila, who he had spent 18 months developing, helping them to understand the distinctives of the church, helping them to see the truth of what the... And, of what it means to walk in the Holy Spirit, which Paul and others had already experienced in Jerusalem. 
He's helping them to see what that means. For 18 months, he plugs into them. He does life with them. They have house church together. They're close to one another. They're doing work together. uh, And they are watching God unfold his plan in Corinth. And they're doing that outside the temple or the, the synagogue because they brushed the, wiped the dust off their feet, they were not coming back to the synagogue. So the house churches are being built throughout uh, Corinth. And Aquila and Priscilla go with him. He takes them with him. And we don't know all the reasons why, but one that we can assume that Will talked about last week is that he had poured all this life into them. And when he looked around at the people that were with him, he thought, who better to leave in some place there's enough people here who are strong in the Lord. I'm going to take Aquila and Priscilla with me, and we're going to go and see what God has, to, has for them. And the Holy Spirit obviously was leading him to do that. And so they follow the Holy Spirit, and they go into Ephesus. And Paul stays only for a short while, and then he leaves Priscilla and Aquila and says, I'll be back. And while Priscilla and Aquila are there, here's what's key. By the way, put yourself in their shoes, okay? You are... Aquila and Priscilla. How many months have we been together? Have we been saying the same thing over and over again? Have we been engaging and and preparing to go and do ministry in the way that we're about to do it, to launch you out into the community, to do ministry, to be what all we we have, God has told us to be in this community? How long are we doing that before we get launched? We're done with that. We're being launched, okay? It's time. And so we're not, picture us going to another town, and I take everybody with me, all of you with me. And if I'm representing Paul in this story, which I think that's my ministry, okay? So I'm Paul in the story, and we go to the next town, and I bring you guys with me. Or, you know, God's leading Levi and Ashley to go to Ruston, and so... Man, I'm excited about that. We pray together. We, we get a confirmation from the God. We go to, to, to Ruston and guess where they are this morning. They're in Ruston, right? We left them there to do this work, and they are strengthening the church in Ruston. Well, that's what happens, and, and we need to do that. And it, it needs to be in the context of this community. This is where God's called you to live and to be. And so it means in your neighborhood. It means in your workplace. It means now's the time. We start thinking creatively and asking the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom about how to engage the community around us, to bless people, to build his church in this community. And so we do that. We're launching out. And so he did, and he left him there. But what's beautiful about this story is that Apollos, who is a trained professional, a preacher who knows what he's talking about, shows up in Ephesus and goes to the synagogue to preach and uh, Aquila and Priscilla pulled him aside because he was a man after God's heart, right? He was deeply after God, but he hadn't, he hadn't heard yet about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He hadn't heard about Jesus dying and being resurrected. He was of John's baptism. He came from Alexandria, not from Jerusalem, all right? So he, he didn't have that teaching more than likely. And so they, they help him to understand the full gospel and then he becomes this radical maniac ready to go, right? Oh, it all comes together, I see. So he was a wanderer really out there waiting on the complete gospel. And Aquila and Priscilla gave it to him, not Paul. And then he goes off to Corinth 
to do this ministry in Achaia, it's called, which is the region where Corinth was. So he takes off and goes there. And so they, they leave him knowing, uh, leave them knowing that they got that, this taken care of and Aquila and Priscilla correct his teaching just a little bit, strengthen him, give him the rest of the gospel and send him out. And then Apollos goes to Corinth and starts preaching publicly, refuting the Jews in public open air forums and going from house church to house church encouraging the brothers. So that's a grandkid in the ministry. That's somebody in your life group that you reach, that you give these distinctives to, that now is out there in another town doing this ministry. Y'all see the picture? That's us, okay? This is what God has for us. So I love that. It's shared leadership. And, and one of the distinctives of, of one of the things that we need to understand is as we establish God's work, establish the work in a new location, whether it be in your home or whether it be in another town or whether it be in Romania in March or Honduras in January, when we go to these places, when we establish the work, one thing we need to understand is there's shared leadership involved. We are looking for leaders. We are building, promoting, working with leaders. All right, so Apollos is helping the church at Corinth now. And the Spirit brought him to Ephesus so that he could be strengthened by getting the whole truth about Jesus, probably received the Holy Spirit at that point, and he's a spiritual grandchild of Paul. Leaders making leaders, and we need leaders at the gathering place. I hope you accepted that challenge last week and you've been dealing with that and allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you and not running in fear away uh, and listening to the lies of the enemy who says you are not able, ready, worthy, it won't be enjoyable, whatever he's telling you. Second thing I notice is they strengthened the wanderers. Ephesus was a, a very large city, okay? The Romans called it the first and greatest metropolis of Asia. It was a huge city. There was a, there was a theater in Ephesus that seated uh, 50,000 spectators, all right? To, to give you an example... Rapids Parish Coliseum sees what, 10? Max out? 10,000. Okay, it's 50,000 seat theater uh, in Ephesus. So even though the church was growing under the leadership of Aquila and Priscilla, it makes sense that there are still people in this city who were a part of John's baptism. They, they, they knew the Messiah was coming. They put their faith in, uh, in, the, in the Messiah that was coming but they had not yet heard the, the whole message. And so also in this story are these 12 men, 12 men that had not heard about the Holy Spirit's coming. And so they, Paul comes into that town to strengthen these wanderers. You know, for us, a wanderer is somebody who is, who is a believer but does not understand, it, but, and, and the Spirit has made them dissatisfied with what they've been experiencing in church and they're looking for something authentic, real, organic. They're looking for, for a relationship and not just dead religion. And so Paul does the same thing uh, that Aquila and Priscilla did with Apollos. He completes their gospel message. He's been baptized. They, they had been baptized with John's baptism. They hadn't even heard that the Messiah had come. Now they had heard that the Holy Spirit was coming. 
uh, if they were truly baptized by John's baptism, then John proclaimed that, that the Spirit was coming. Uh, he, he preached about the Holy Spirit that would come. You can go back and look at it in the Gospels. But all the events of the life of Jesus, his death, uh, the, the, the life of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, this was all new to them. They had put their faith in God in the way you did in the Old Testament, or way you were supposed to anyway, and that is they believed that the Messiah was coming, and they were putting their faith in what John had, was preaching. So Apollos knew about Jesus, but he probably had not heard about the Holy Spirit. And so uh, here they are having this experience with the Holy Spirit to strengthen war, these wanderers. Now, I thought about this this past week. First of all, realize that, that one of, our, one of our ministries in establishing the work of God, wherever we go, is going to be reaching out to wanderers. It's going to be God allowing us to, uh, showing us, rather, how to reach out to people who are still stuck in the deadness of their religion, but are pursuing and seeking God. They want to know God, but they're, they're like Christmas was in, in Corinth. They're, they're stuck in a, in a synagogue and when the gospel is preached, they can't even respond to it because it's so out of character of the people that are sitting around them every Sunday or Sabbath for them. And there are people out there like that. Some of you are those people. You knew that there was more for you in God, and you wanted that. God put that in your heart, and, and you found it in, this, in Scripture. You found it in Jesus, and you found a group of believers that, can help you to, that helped you to get there. We have a tremendous responsibility to do that for others, right? How can we sit in the beauty of what God's done in our lives and the knowledge that we have of him and, and sit here having been called out of the deadness of religion and not offer that to people who don't have the complete story, right? Y'all with me? So we've got, a, we've got a goal at the gathering place. This is one of the things that God's calling us to do, and that is uh, to, to establish the work by... Sharing leadership, first of all, each one of you being leaders, and then, and then strengthening wanderers that are out there. A third thing that happens here is Paul also establishes the eldership, his eldership. Paul lays his hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. I remember this happened with, with also with Peter and John. And there's reasons behind it. This, there's, there's not a doctrine here related to the Holy Spirit, or a, a doctrine related to tongues. And prophesy. Okay, y'all with me? I want to help you to understand this. Okay, we're not doing a study on the, Holy, on, on the doctrine of tongues and prophesying today. But I want you to know that we have already seen thousands of people who have received the Holy Spirit who have not prophesied and have not spoken in tongues. Do y'all know that? Do you remember that? Because what happens is some, some well-meaning people will come into your life and, and put some work on you that says... If you don't speak in tongues, you're not a believer. Because look at what happened here. They were believers, but they had to also speak in tongues. That is not what this scripture is saying. Now, these particular believers did speak in tongues, but it was not because they had to in order to show that they were saved. All right, It's got to be something other than that because all these other people, these thousands of people were not reported to have spoken in tongues. Right? We've seen thousands and thousands of people coming to Christ. And we find no mention of those people having to speak in tongues. Now, don't you think that if that was necessary, that would be in every one of these scenarios? 
I'll tell you what is. Seems to be a consistent up to this point. You've seen it with me as we've been studying this. Seems to be a consistent message of what happens when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives is that we become selfless, is that we become, uh, that our possessions are no longer the thing that, that uh, is no longer about us, it's about others, that we share our possessions, even selling our possessions if we need to, in order to take care of people within the body, that there's a oneness and a, a, a closeness that is shared within the body of believers that would cause them to be united in purpose to be committed to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayer, all these things we've been talking about being and doing, that is what's consistently being done. You're not missing anything, okay? You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He will guide you and give you everything you need. And in this particular case, there is a reason why the Holy Spirit, they, they see the Holy Spirit come on these men after they put their hands on them, and they receive Christ. There's a reason why that is happening. I don't know what all the reasons are. I can speculate what some of those reasons might be. But here's what I want you to know. This is not about a doctrine of speaking in tongues. Y'all with me? Okay? God is not saying that everybody that, that receives Christ needs to speak in tongues. Now, I believe it had to do something, it had to be something with Peter and, and John probably, but also something for this pagan city of Ephesus. Uh, well, first of all, for Peter and John, I think God was establishing the special touch that he had on the apostles, which is going to be needed in Ephesus. The people in Jerusalem saw this great move of God. They saw what happened with the apostles, and they understood that, that uh, these men were filled by a power that was greater than them. They experienced it with the apostles. Well, nobody's experienced that in Ephesus. And there's a lot of powerful, if you will, things going on in Ephesus. People wanted to have power. The, the temple of Diana was huge. It, it was, it, the goddess Diana was worshipped in Ephesus. And Diana was believed to be able to control animals and in some ways have some power over fertility. But she stayed away from people. Uh, she didn't have power over people. Well, here's the Holy Spirit coming in, and these, Ephesian, uh, these Ephesians, these pagan Ephesians, are now seeing that the Holy Spirit can, can control believers. That, that this, the Holy Spirit is even more powerful than the goddess Diana, who can control animals. But these men are having words come out of their mouth that they have no idea what they are. They are feeling the power of the Holy Spirit inside of them, speaking through them. And I think it was a way uh, that, that the reason it didn't happen until Paul, uh, Peter and John put their hands on, or, uh, Paul rather, and, okay, Paul laid his hands on them in this case. I keep saying Peter and John because I'm reading back to the other one. When Paul laid his hands on them is because God was establishing that my touch is on this man. This is the one you need to listen to, all right? He's the one that, that has the words of life. And this is the same thing that was happening in Jerusalem. When they saw the power in the apostle, then they put their faith in what they, they were saying. They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about this to a certain degree. He says about the apostles, he says in uh, verse tw uh, chapter 12, verse 11 through 13, 
For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, talking about the apostles that actually knew Jesus and walked with him. Even though I am nothing, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So Paul is telling the church at Corinth, God did these things so that you could know that I'm an apostle. You need to hear what I have to say. Paul's words were significant, and God was showing these Ephesians that Paul had the words that they needed to hear. So the Holy Spirit revealed his ability to control people, which revealed a power beyond Diana's power. And God also established Paul as the the one that they needed to listen to. And so we need to establish the eldership in places that we go. One of the things that needs to happen in order to establish the work of God in a location is we need to carefully help people to find out who is called to be elder and who should be who these spiritual men and women possibly in other cultures men and women are that should be leading the church in that in that area. And in a pagan country or a pagan city, or a pagan home, a person might feel like, because I'm a, I'm a good, uh, strong person, with a strong personality, and I'm outgoing, then I should be leading. Well, they, that, the people in that home, and even a group of people that might come to your home, are not the ones that need to decide who's going to be in, in, in eldership or leadership in that body. It's not the person that's most popular. It's not the one that seems to be the strongest, necessarily. There are, those are qualifications. The qualifications of an elder really can only be seen by people who are walking with God, pursuing God, seeking the Lord, filled with the Spirit, and understand the, the distinctives of eldership. And so that's going to be our role also as we go into these d- towns. You know, right now in Ruston, we're talking to, uh, with men, to men who are feeling intimidated about being elders. But there's going to be elders up there at some point, and those elders will be established by this congregation or by elders in this congregation and then voted on and affirmed by the church that's there. I believe God sets, a, sets that standard here of establishing the eldership. So they share the leadership, they strengthen the wonders, and they, they establish the eldership. And then the next thing they do is they connect with the institution. Now, this is not anything new. Paul's been doing this. Matter of fact, in this town, Paul goes to Ephesus. He's preaching the same gospel. Let me pause for a moment because I didn't say that. I think it goes without saying, but let's not, not say it. Paul was preaching the gospel. Okay? I want you all to make sure that you remember what we're about. There's only one message that's being preached. It's the message of Christ. We, we have one story to tell. It's about the grace of God that was revealed to us through the death and resurrection of Christ, the gift of Jesus to us, and the salvation that he brings. Paul's preaching that message. He's preaching it with power, and he preaches it everywhere. But just like in all the other towns, when he comes to Ephesus, Paul Paul goes to the Jews in Ephesus first to preach the gospel. And he has a similar response here. We looked at this a few weeks ago. He has a similar response here that he got in Corinth. He goes to the synagogue, and look at what happens in verse 8. He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly 
reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And we know what Paul's message sounds like. We've read enough of these messages early on in the book of Acts. He's going back to the Old Testament and he's showing how Christ is the Messiah and how Christ, the Messiah, uh, against the teaching of the Jews, the Pharisees and Sadducees, was also the sacrificial lamb for the, for the sins of the world. And he's preaching it and showing them uh, through the, the use of the, of the Old Testament, which they believed in, supposedly. In verse 9, but when some became stubborn and, and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, which is what became the name that they called believers in Jesus, those that believed in Jesus, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took his disciples with him, reasoning now daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for how long? Two years. There's no rhyme or reason to how long Paul stays in a place other than one thing. What is it? Holy Spirit. Whatever the Holy Spirit tells Paul to do, he does it. And in this case, he stays two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. All right, so he ends up leaving the synagogue again, and this time he goes to a lecture hall, but he goes there and he's reasoning with people every day for two years. So the first thing Paul does is he connects with the institution. He goes in and connects with the, with the, the people who, are, who say they are believers. I don't know what this is going to look like for us, but I know that we need to stay connected to the institution. God has spoken that over and over again and confirmed that again this week, that we have a role, whether it's just to go and share the truth and be rejected or it's to go and share the truth and, and somebody like Crispus in Corinth, the ruler of the synagogue, comes to the house of a worshiper and gets saved and then he's no longer the ruler of the synagogue. I don't know what it's going to be like. Uh, you know, It might be that we, we go into churches and we, we share the truths that we have until we get kicked out and then we take those people with us that... You know, that want truth, want to move out with us into, into the whole truth about who Christ is and the relationship that they can have with him. I don't know. But we are connected. We're going to connect with the institution. But then also, a fifth thing is he commits to stay as long as the Holy Spirit leads. Paul stays to strengthen the work. And we need to be committed to stay as long as the Holy Spirit leads us to stay. In whatever role that he calls you to be in, in whatever places that he has us to plant churches, look, I know there are reasons why we, we have in our minds, and in my mind right now, I can't help it. I start thinking about what this will look like. I shared this morning about you bringing people that we don't know into this congregation so that we can have worship together and how sweet that's going to be. I don't know that that's going to happen. But we all get these pictures in our mind. We have expectations of what it's going to look like. But as we go to, to establish the work of God in your community, as you go to do that, one of the things that you're going to do is that you need to be resolved about right now before you ever begin to ask God what you're going to do is, or how you're going to do it is to, to resolve that you need to stay as long as God says stay. You need to go and stay as long as God says stay. Whatever work you're in, whatever God's calling you to do, don't get in your mind that this is going to last forever. It may last a week, and God may call you to another land, right? Or it may, it, it, here's what some of us have been doing. 
my fault, okay, as your leader, up till now. But it's, we have our thing that we do. We do our Sunday service. We do our life group when we really feel like it. But we do it pretty consistently now. And then that's it. That's our, that's our church. We've done church. Okay? Expand that. Expand that into how about another night at your house? Oh, wait, that's more time. Yeah, well, okay. And? Are we going to reach this town or not? We're going to reach this town. How about another night in your own house? You keep this group to keep you strong, to encourage you, to come back and share and build them up, to do life together. And then you have another group in your home that might be a hodgepodge of people in the community. And you do life with them. And you stay at that as long as God tells you to stay at it. And you also provide a safe place for people who are not ready to release their church yet to come and to worship and to engage with you and to get to know God in a safe place. When we started the church in Ruston, uh, man, it was so sweet. We'd gone at it, going at it, and then all of a sudden we're out. Two of the four couples are no longer with us. I can tell you what happened in my, in, in my flesh is I wanted to say, this is a failure. This is not going to work. We need to quit. Of course, that wasn't me. It was Satan, and he constantly whispering that in my ear over and over again. It's not enough people. This isn't a church. We stayed the course. Those people are still supportive of us, even the ones that left. They will probably be back with us at some point. I'm confident. But here we are. They're, they're, you know, God is... God is building something, and we're going to stay until God says go. And, and they're going to stay at it until God changes it. You know, Henry, Henry Blackaby says in Experiencing God, you keep doing what God told you to do last until he tells you to do something different. And that's where we are. That's where Paul is. He stays at it. He commits himself. And Ephesus needed someone that had faith to be used by the Holy Spirit, right? Because even, even Aquila and Priscilla, 18 months as compared to what Paul had was not nearly the same. They needed an apostle to come and spend time with them, someone who, an apostle who had been used by the Holy Spirit to do signs that would affirm for the Jews and the pagans that are in that town that God was actually in him and with them and could be in them. Jews always wanted to see signs, and God gives that to them. Look at what happens next. Over these, over these two years, what's Paul doing? Look in verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. All right? Remember, God's affirming the authority of Paul, and also he's affirming the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he's doing that in an attempt to convince everyone that God is present. God is present. He's here. This is God. He's in you. Now, as Satan, can, as can always be predicted, Satan makes a big attack on this in this city of Ephesus. There were Jewish exorcists who claimed that they had the, that, that they had the same kind of power to cast out evil spirits. This was a new development, by the way, and it's drawing particular attention to this crew in Ephesus, the, the, the development of evil spirits being cast out. So these Jewish exorcists claimed that they had that power. There were Greeks that, that also practiced the dark arts, magic, and uh, incantations, used spells from books, magic books, 
And they were real. These were real spells that really, Satan used these, the power that he had to make things happen. And they, as we saw in a a story earlier with, with Peter and John, these people wanted to gain popularity by getting together with Paul, who they now know has this power that even handkerchiefs and aprons were causing people to be healed if they were touched by them. And so they wanted that power. Remember the fortune teller in Philippi that Peter and John had to cause her to go mute because she kept on trying to connect with them and she was confusing people. Is that the same power that they have? Is this the same power? And so Paul steps up here and he, you know, Peter had to shut up the fortune teller and Paul has to shut up this crew. And so he just continues to preach and teach and then Paul does, actually really does nothing. The Holy Spirit takes over and does everything in this story. Because what happens is these Jewish exorcists start rising up and they want to use the same power. So they start using Jesus' name because they realize that there was power in the name. And this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. All right, what happens next? Verse 13, look at what happens. And some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit, in whom was the evil spirit, leaped on them, mastering all of them and overpowering them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Picture it. That's just a funny story right there. <laughs> God's not going to tolerate these men's attempts to take credit for what the Holy Spirit is doing in this town. He's not going to allow the pagans or, the, or these Jewish, itinerant Jewish uh, exorcists to take credit for what he's doing. They didn't have the power of God in them. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. They were acting based on their desire to gain attention for themselves, more popularity, to show their power. And they got tore up and were left running out of town naked and wounded. Look, I don't know how to apply this other than just to say, how long is God going to be tolerant of our attempts? to take credit for his work in the world. I really believe this. I believe the consequences of our sin have revealed to the world around us the emptiness of our our particular schemes and plans to build something. I think people all around us, as they've watched us build our churches and and build our our own little kingdoms and, and take credit for the things that that we're doing, which really we should because it's us and not God. We take credit for those things, but when we start naming, calling that God, all this pagan stuff, all this personal stuff, and we're we're taking credit for that work and calling it God, how long is God going to be tolerant with our attempts to take credit for his work? My prayer is that we're going to allow at the gathering place the Holy Spirit to do God-exclusive activity through our lives, in our lives, in our communities, in our homes. 
through our, just our simple obedience to him, not because we have any power, but just because we know how to, we have the Holy Spirit speaking to us and we're following what God tells us to do. And that when this city sees a difference, they're going to give up their efforts to be God of their own lives and choose the God that we offer, the God that lives in us, the God that empowers us. So here we are. You know, we've got shared leadership. We're strengthening wanderers in the places where we go. We have to establish leadership or eldership. We need to connect with the institution in town. And then the results are going to be, as we preach the truth of the gospel and we, we keep things simple, we just share the truth of the gospel and quit trying to complicate everything, the results are going to be that even those that would take credit for themselves and try to connect with us that are not really connected with the Lord, God will handle his business. We just need to stay on our business. God takes care of his business. And then also, the, more of the results in verses 17 through 20. Closes out by saying, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear, remember we talked about fear, and some, for some it was respect, for some it was fear. It was, it was, uh, they were scared to death, right? But fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And listen to this, even verse 19. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So here's what happens. When we go in and we establish the work of God, we don't start it, we don't, it's not us building it, it's God using us to establish his work in the ways that we see here in this city of Ephesus, in a pagan land. Ultimately, what happens is the word of the Lord continues to increase. And it prevails mightily. In other words, there's nothing that compares to it. Look at what happened in this story. God confirmed his apostles, first of all, in this pagan city. He showed his power and had that the power that he had, that the Holy Spirit had through the apostles was more than any of the other gods and the people in their town. And he won the hearts of the people of Ephesus to the point that they are giving a public demonstration of their repentance. They're getting rid of their other gods. They're, they're, they're laying aside anything else that would would rival the God that they saw in Paul. And then the word of God increases and prevails mightily. Here's what needs to thank you for that, Jim. In closing, let me just say this. You know, I don't want us, I've been trying today to keep us focused on the fact that when we talk about church and establishing the work of God, we're not talking about what we're doing in Ruston alone or what we're doing in foreign countries or other cities. We're talking about what you're doing in your house. We need to somehow get our, get our minds focused on what needs to happen in your own home and in the life groups where you, where you're right now, where you're, that you're attending right now. We need to start seeing that these things need to be established and they need to be established here in, in this town in multiple places around this town. We need to quit thinking of this as church. We need to start thinking of house as church and this as 
worship. Churches coming together to worship the Lord. This is all our churches coming together. You have a role. You have a a role. God has a place for you in that church that you are eating dinner with every week at night. Yet God has a role for you in that church that you talk about the sermon with every week or study a book with every week. God has a role for you, an active role, a something that he wants you to do to encourage the believers there. And then he also has people in this town that you probably need to have start having in your home. So start talking about it. Start praying about it. Now, I'm not establishing this for you. I'm saying the work was established, and here's some truths that were, were there. And for us, we know that we have shared leadership. You are that shared leadership. See yourself in that role. We have wanderers all over this town that we need to strengthen. You have wanderers in your life that you need to strengthen. The eldership has been established here. We know who our elders are. We are connecting still with the institution, and you need to stay connected to the institution as a part of a gathering place and what God's called us to do in this town. And then we need to stick with it. We need to quit worrying about the results and just stay with it. There are times when Talak and I have gone to Ruston, and there's been one couple that we've met with, and it was beautiful. It was a great time. It was part of God establishing the work. There will be times when there's a few of you there, and it's okay. Uh, and, but then also be thinking about how do we expand this to touch the people that are out in the community, people that don't know Christ. How can we bless them in, in our church? And as I said a couple of weeks ago, it's a safe place even for people that are not comfortable yet connect, disconnecting from their religious experience. But safe place is your home. So we want to establish you, we want to equip you, we want to advise you any way that we can as elders to begin to work on this now. Don't, you know, we're not going to, it's not going to be a top-down kind of thing. This is going to be a us together, figuring it out with the work of the help of the Holy Spirit. And then the elders will do, we'll do our job in keeping a check on that and shepherding the flock, bringing correction if it's needed. But I just believe there's a lot of you that are ready to step forward. So let's pray for that this morning. And as we close out in worship today, let's let that be in our hearts and our minds. I'm praying for you. Praying for you that God would reveal to you what it is he has for you to do. And that you'll, have, you'll find the courage and the resolve to step, step up and do it. Father, thank you for your word, for the truths that we've heard today. And Lord, I, I just pray that you'll help, help this to make sense, help us to make sense of what we've heard. And God, not just spin it around in our heads, but, but just to, to, again, find a little more resolve with the help of your spirit, a little more resolve in our hearts to walk it out, to just be obedient to you, to seek you about what you'd have us to do. Lord, if there's anybody here that's, that has found a comfort zone of just sitting and listening in regard to, to the community that you called us to be a part of. Father, I pray that you challenge your hearts. I pray that you would mute the voice of the enemy 
or at least let us recognize and take those thoughts captive that he puts in our mind. I pray that you would not allow busyness to steal away the joy and contentment that we can have in working with you to touch this community, to touch each other, to strengthen each other. God, we've been studying what it means to be the church since January, and I just, I just know, God, that, that you are ready to move people forward. We're so used to having a strategy and a plan, God. I, I just pray that you would give us a peace about walking with you, just walking as your spirit leads. Break apart the things that are not of you. And build into our lives those things that you desire. Thank you that you choose to be involved with us in such a personal way. And we embrace that today in Jesus' name.